Welcome to the Football Ramble. Arsenal beat the champions. Kane hits 200. It's Thursday the 16th of July. I'm Jules Breach. I'm Jim Campbell. And I'm Andy Brassel. Yes, we are gathered here today on Thursday, the 16th of July, the day after Arsenal beat the champions Liverpool by yeah. two goals to one. And Jim, the Arsenal fan, is still in disbelief. <laughs> I am in disbelief. It's a happy disbelief, but it's what a weird game. It was so weird. What a strange game. I, I feel nice and relaxed now because when you started that, we have gathered here today. I thought, <laughs> me and Jim aren't getting married to celebrate, are we? <laughs> That would be a touch too far. It was odd though, wasn't it, Jim, in terms of the match? I mean, Arsenal were gifted the two goals yeah. in the first half. Liverpool's goal was was pretty decent before that. Yeah. And the second half was so strange in the sense that Liverpool had so much possession. I think Arsenal's possession stats by the end of the match was about 29% That's in that mad. second half. But I think there was one moment in the second half where Liverpool had 95% of possession for about 15 minutes. It's, it's absolutely incredible. They had a lot of shots as well. I think it was 17 shots in the second half. But I think it seems to be that the key to beating Liverpool is let them batter you when they're not trying that hard, <laughs> which is a rare set of circumstances that you're, uh, that you're going to find yourself in and then pounce on mistakes that they might make once every two years. Like two mistakes like that in a game is unheard of from this Liverpool team. And Lacazette was excellent in, in pouncing on both of them in, in the various ways that he did. So it wasn't, they weren't completely clear cut. They weren't quite as bad as, as let's say a classic Arsenal mistake. So some credit is deserved there, but it was, Odd, wasn't you're, it? You're I mean, not having anyone taking your mistakes crown. Oh no, no, that's our thing. We've got, we've got really clownish <laughs> Liverpool, mistakes. Liverpool have got the championship. They're yeah. not having that. Clownish right. mistakes and the worst fans in the world. You know the ones I mean. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it. It was it was great. It was it was brilliant. I can't believe we sort of like that that set of circumstances happened, but um, it, it was brilliant and it's actually a much needed kind of three points that I did not expect us to get. It is interesting, isn't it, how beauty is very much in the eye of the beholder. I remember Henry Winter tweeting during the game, oh, we can see Arteta's plan clicking into place and the 3-4-3 and the incessant pressing that is pushing Liverpool into these mistakes. I mean, that's fine, it's his, his opinion. I'm not tearing anyone out, yeah. but... I, I, not everyone oh, I can it. see it like that. Yeah, exa- yeah. I'm exactly. not. I'm not so sure. Particularly, Virgil Van Dijk's mistake was he was pushed into that mistake at all. It was just a lapse of concentration. Wasn't he, it? he thought he was pushed into it. Didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he, he was. Did. He was. He was complaining about the. Well, it was, it was just a touch on the shoulder, really. Wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I think he was probably just in shock. Like he was saying to the ref, I I don't do that. Do oh, I? That's not me. I don't what do those there? things. Now nah, this something's wrong. Something must be wrong. Uh, do you reckon he's maybe past that point where he feels it's acceptable for him to be challenged? I mean, I remember yeah. Zlatan talking about when after his couple of first weeks at um, Paris Saint Germain, they were saying, "What do you think of the French league?" Obviously expecting him to say, "Oh, easy, I'm the best." Yeah. And what he said is, "People tackle me over here." Yeah. It's outrageous. <laughs> he, was, he was absolutely affronted by it. Yeah, I like that. But it reminds me also of when Al Pacino um, said that he got to a point where he all he had to do was turn up and be Al Pacino. And actually, like it was, it was less interesting then because he, <laughs> he didn't need to put so much into the roles and like develop the character so much. Maybe Van Dyke's got a bit of the Pacino about him. I don't know, <laughs> like, but I'm happy he has. It, it was strange though because, it, as we say, it was the first error that Van Dyke has made that has led to 
a goal by the opposition in 88 matches. It's phenomenal. That is quite something. Mm. Do you think there's an element of, Andy, that players kind of almost don't try and, and tackle him? Or is, is that part of it? Or It's the aura as much as anything else. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. I think Sergio Ramos is another one of those guys who has the aura. Have and you the, seen the aura his definitely increases. picture? Tell me. I'm, I mean, this it's, this body is, it's actually frightening. Yeah. It's, it's not actually that nice, which like a, I'm surprised to say. Like a minus percentage body fat. Yeah, it's weird. There's some muscles that I didn't know the body had in, in that body. He's probably he, got some new ones. He, he, only he, he, just, he just looks like he's had a busy lockdown for the moment, yeah. though. And the fact that the, the beard is, is going the full way. I mean, he, he does look kind of I, Game I, of Thrones extra at the moment. It's not quite got to the bit where there, there used to be this um, guy who's a famous goal, German goalkeeper, Tim Wieser, who played for um, Werder Bremen. And he actually became a wrestler you've talked about yeah. it on the rambler ramble before I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure and he went from like normal sized guy you know all bit with a decent build into as you say muscle over every Knuckles. half finger yeah <laughs> it's so weird it doesn't it doesn't quite look right but he is a mean machine isn't he he really is i just feel like the, the amount of chicken breast he must get through <laughs> in a day but sure he's not eating anything else like it's it's, it's nuts just chicken and broccoli <laughs> uh god I'm st- sorry, I'm still reeling from the game, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was it was fun, wasn't it? It was it was it's it's nice when a game goes weird like that because there was a lot of weird little touches, like um, the teams coming out to Triple H's music again. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I know it's not the first time, but it does really feel like the end of the season is just beca- it's like the last day at school, isn't it? I feel like they might just sit down and play Monopoly. Oh, on the last I absolutely day. love it. Kerncraft 400 is done pretty well out of lockdown, <laughs> isn't it? Everyone's been on that. I love the fact that Arsenal's playlist is the thing that we talk about a lot because they have had an incredible person who has come in and, and taken over that role yeah. and taken it quite seriously. Yes. At halftime, I noticed they played Missy Elliott, Get yeah. Your Freak On, absolute banger. Yeah, James Brown is often played after a, a big victory and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I think it's James Brown. Um uh, also, though, there is that good old Arsenal song. I don't know if you've heard it, but it, it is so bad. It is so so bad. Does it? It's one know, of the ones. There's a bit of work to be done on the, the playlist. I think there's there's very much a like it's it's all in a very definite playlist before kickoff at Arsenal normally. Mm. And obviously, the guy just presses play and then goes right. I have to leave the room because I've heard this like five hundred mm. times before. So, how, you'll be able to tell me in what order it goes in. You've got that good old Arsenal song. Um, We've got London calling. Yeah, that, that comes before that. The good old Arsenal song now tends to be the, the thing they come that come out to. This is the wonder of you. The wonder of you yeah. creeps in here and there as yeah. well. It's a it's a it's a funny old uh, funny old playlist they got going on there. But I, I'm enjoying the introduction of Triple H, and I do quite like this more informal Premier League that we seem to be seeing, where it's like it sounds like something we would have joked about in the past. You yeah. know, what wrestlers theme music would you have teams come out to? And now stuff like this is actually happening. Yeah. It's yeah, bizarre, it is. isn't it? It is, but I quite like it anyway. I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing all that music. Now, after the game, Arteta's post-match um, interview I thought was quite interesting. He said in terms of fight and hunger, they matched Liverpool mm. and that that's something that he's obviously been working on with the team. But in terms of players and investment, they obviously have a long way to go. Would you agree with that, Jim, that in terms of fight and hunger, Arsenal are there and they can match those top teams? I think they sometimes can do that but it tends to be in response to when they've got a little bit of slack and that slack has become unacceptable so we've seen it so many times over the years when Arsenal sort of commit to a press or if they sort of dig in and they give a good defensive 
performance. Um, it's it's there. It's absolutely there throughout the season, but it's just not consistent enough. The thing with with Liverpool and obviously their streets ahead. Um, is you get that from them in every game. They lost that game, and you still, you know, it was still there. You know, yeah. they, 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 you know, setting a Mane aside, obviously not everybody was playing at their absolute sort of top speed, but Liverpool still, you know, did what they do. And Arsenal don't do it in every game. Um, and Arteta's right, and I think he's he's figuring out which members of his squad he can rely on to do that, and trying to sort of you know mould those that um, will perhaps be amenable to just you know, being a bit more um, coherent in terms of consistency. But the thing that I was most encouraged by was how he spoke about how it's going to be very, very difficult to improve without significant investment. Yeah. The board probably don't want to hear that, but they do need to hear it. And I'm, I'm really happy that there's a manager there who's happy to say that and is perhaps happy to kind of um, publicly go against the party line, perhaps, because Arsenal are always he's, talking about... Do you think he's starting to realise that more? I think so. There's he a didn't sense seem that, too positive there, about it, did he? No, he didn't, no. which is really interesting. You've mm. just beaten the champions yeah. in weird circumstances, yes. But the, the, the narrative that he, he comes out with is that he, he needs more money. And you don't really expect Mikel Arteta to be a sort of uh, political manager in terms of his post-match interviews. You know, you'd expect that from Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola to a degree. We've seen a lot of managers do it, but Arteta, we're still figuring him out as a as a manager. And I'm I'm really encouraged by that, actually, because it, uh, it it's just an, an obvious truth that is one of those things that's so frustrating as an Arsenal fan. You do feel kind of hamstrung and handcuffed by the by the owners because, you know, they, uh, they effectively use the club as an investment vehicle. And realistically, if Arsenal want to get back to that top table, they've got, clearly they have to spend. So, um, yeah, that's a two very... Very strange positives from this evening. <laughs> Isn't that the weird thing about being a head coach and particularly a new head coach, though? That sort of creation of your your own image. And, and that's normally you're, I think, encouraged by the environment that coaches grow up in in, in, in general to be that sort of, I have all the answers. This is definitely me. I want to present the strongest possible version of me. And you can't show any sort of weakness or doubt, or perceived weakness, I mm. guess. Whereas, in, in fact, I think changing your opinion is like actually, or evolving your opinion as time goes by, is the sign of a, a healthy mind. And, yeah. and that's what we've got with Arteta. I suppose the thing is, because, and I've said this from the beginning with him, because he's such a good communicator, he can, I think he's almost got a little bit more leeway. Because, mm. you know, he's. you have to ask with Arsenal, is the content that different? than it was under Emery. Not always. I think, you know, you want to feel that they're going in the right direction, but his rhetoric informs that so much. I think the interesting thing when you talk about what he's trying to do is Lacazette becoming part of it again Mm. because his departure seems like a fair complete when you go back just a couple of weeks, he's a little bit marginalised. But for me, if you want to play that sort of style, he's the first player you want in the Mm. team because the fact is, even, even when he's having a crap match, he will give you a full shift. If I think of all the great players that Leon have produced over the years who've left, who, if they made an improbable comeback, I would be delighted with. Him and Mtiti are the two that stand out. If I could have one of those back mm. tomorrow, it, would be like, it, w- it wouldn't be Benzema and it wouldn't be Fekir, actually. 
even though they're they're far easier on the eye, just because you know what you're getting out of them every single game, even if they're out of form. Yeah, it's that battling spirit that I really like about Lacazette. It's the way that even if uh, he does go through a little bit of a goal drought, I mean, he's had that issue that it was only fairly recently that he, he, you know, started scoring away from home again. Mm. Um, But he he does fight and he takes it to defences and his hold up play is really good as well. And um, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, Aubameyang leaving is, is probably quite likely, but hanging on to Lacazette as well is important because mm. it's, it's completely feasible that, that like could lose both but um i have to say i think my one of my highlights of the game as well i, I watched it on sky was um was david jones uh <laughs> having to do the little little movie plug that, uh, <laughs> that is kind of thrown into sky it's at the always moment. so awkward isn't it, it is but th- this one was particularly so because it was ad astra i don't know if you've seen the movie but it's a no. very weird quite cerebral thoughtful movie about brad pitt uh in the near future taking a trip to Net- neptune to track down his absentee <laughs> father Tommy Lee Jones right and it's this, it's it's a good movie but it's, it's it's a bit of a curious one um and like Graham Soonis is just disdain oh, for the concept of that. It was so funny. Himself. His face was just like, what? What the hell? I'm not what? watching that. I'm yeah. just going to watch football and think about football. I'd, I think they should put Soonis on these. Do a little <laughs> he sort do of them. like, you know. I love the change club. of gear, though. It's like, and it's a brilliant win for Arsenal. They've beaten the champions Liverpool by two goals to one. And still to come on Sky Sports this week, we've got the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We have to do this yeah. weird gear it's, change. So there's these two cowboys. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. like, so it's so next uh, is your vision for Graham Sinis to go and coming up next we're going to have a heartwarming yeah. a romantic comedy starring Jennifer Aniston yeah exactly that <laughs> exactly that that would be good well, I mean why not we've got wrestlers music for teams to come out it, feel, it feels a bit movies. feels a bit Europa League to me isn't it oh you, you don't know, talk about the Europa League to Jim adventure. <laughs> he doesn't want it he doesn't want it next that year that was a private conversation <laughs> <laughs> no I don't you don't. I recognise the need for it, but like part of me sinks at being in there. I mean, ideally, I just want to be, I want to win the league and be in the Champions League. You know, that's Sorry, it's not going to happen, Jim. Yeah. It's not going to no, happen. But actually, I genuinely have thought that the we probably wouldn't even finish in the Europa League place because I just, I thought it was realistic that we would lose this game and then Villa and Watford have got a lot to play for mm. and we might just be out the running by then. But actually now... I mean, I suppose Arsenal beating Liverpool Three is points bad for Villa, isn't yeah. it? So well, that, hence it has happened, yeah. thinking about Your theory, it. yeah. Yeah. Um, so now I think actually there is a chance of getting into it. I'd sort of thought, oh, you know what, maybe um, maybe I won't be busy on Thursday nights. But I recognise obviously the club need to be there. If they can't be in the Champions League, they have to be in the Europa League. So yeah. And what for, have to just be a spoiled fan and lump it. <laughs> what for Liverpool, though? Because it means that they can no longer get the record points total mm. over 100. It's a maximum of 99 points only possible for Liverpool now. Yeah. Um, do you think they mind? Do you think they care? It shouldn't matter. I think Jurgen Klopp minds. And it's one of the things that you've sort of rediscovered about him in recent weeks. And I, th- I think we might have mentioned this in a, in, in a recent show. What a terrible loser he is. And oh, I love, yeah. he was I raging. love that. About I loved him. his face at two one. It was my face <laughs> on the sofa as well. He was sat there just with his mouth wide open, just like, "Are you, are you for real? What, yeah. what's going on out there, boys? Sorry, is that a joke? As, as, you know, you can't joke. Yeah, what, what is? Well, this is an actual football match, and you're losing. <laughs> the thing is, his current glasses are very much like my wife's old glasses. So when he pulls that face, I actually feel that I'm being told off from within the television, which is is quite an uncomfortable prospect. That is strange. There was another corridor of applause, Andy Brassel, before the game. Um, They've dropped points, Liverpool, now, in four of the seven games since the restart. Should there still be a corridor of applause? 
Well, I don't think it really suits them, does it? <laughs> no. It obviously uh, sets them too much at ease. Look, I, I don't think it really matters in terms of, uh, of of records or anything like that. If you say to Liverpool at the start of the season, you're going to win the league with some comfort that they're having yeah. that. And that, that's fine. They have been the best team by a mile and dropping a load of dead games doesn't really matter. Except when you go back to Klopp. Why can't they lose think... to Brighton? I mean, <laughs> for sake. But doesn't this just keep them on their toes? The fact that... Klopp is getting that rage. That's maybe because yeah. I think the most difficult thing with Liverpool going forward, you look at that team and they're in a not entirely dissimilar place to the one that, say, Real Madrid were in 2017 after they won the Champions League. You look at that team and you think, how can you improve it? And I think it's not an unreasonable answer to say, it's great, don't improve it. Yeah. But but that is that is not good thinking. You know, you need to be thinking it. And again, I've said before, you, there, there is going to come a point where Klopp and the club, if they want to re- renew that team and if they want to turn this from a Liverpool championship in a, into a Liverpool dynasty, there's going to come a point where they're going to have to make some unpopular decisions and ditch some players who are really, really loved and have done a lot for them mm. because that's what you have to do to maintain it. And there's going to come a point where they'll maybe, I don't know, Flick Firmino or Jordan Henderson or someone like that. Something that feels now, if you're a Liverpool fan, loving the moment, absolutely unthinkable. And these moments help you to do that because yeah. these are the moments that Klopp will say, right, we've got to freshen this up. Yeah. yeah. It's like a sort of a forest fire is actually good for the forest in some cases. It is one of those examples, isn't it? But actually... Could it be that if this complacency is going to be there, because it looks like there is a little bit of complacency from Liverpool in terms of... Um, it's, it's a, I know this is a weird example of a game because they had so many shots and they really did batter Arsenal. But, you know, the, the games they've lost recently sort of paint that picture. It's better for them to surely have that now than it is to, for it to like pop up at the start of next season. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely, yeah. 100%. But I, I, just, I just wonder... I mean, I'm not saying like just one match against Arsenal could change your whole transfer policy. But say if if you're in a <laughs> imagine <laughs> if you're in a if you're in a position of transfer deciding power at Liverpool, and you see that is is that maybe is this maybe one of the games that makes you think if we if we're going back a couple of weeks before we sign for Chelsea, I think oh, maybe we do make the effort and sign Timo Werner. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. even even though he's not definitely straighten off first team do we need to put more pressure on these boys mm. you know maybe that does make you have a, a bit of a think about it yeah very interesting indeed well also last night Spurs beat Newcastle 3-1 Harry Kane scored a brace in the game which means he now has 200 club career goals in 350 appearances uh, between the clubs he's played for Spurs Millwall Leighton Orient and Leicester did you remember that he played for Millwall and Leicester I, vaguely because <laughs> yeah there's the, that famous picture of uh, Harry Kane and I think Jamie Vardy on the bench together for Leicester. It's weird, a long, long isn't time it? Ago. It's, it's yeah. weird to think of him at anywhere other than Spurs. It is funny. Like for um, the Champions League Weekly, I went up to do um, a TV interview with a couple of Leicester players a couple of years ago when they were in the, the, the Champions League before they played the, the quarterfinal with Atletico Madrid. And I was, I was one of the players I was getting ready to interview was uh, Danny Drinkwater, and he'd obviously been there for a sustained period and, and been through some stuff with with, with Leicester. And it's it's funny, I was I was looking back at where Leicester had been relatively recently, and I was I was thinking of that uh, Watford Leicester playoff, uh, you know, with the knockout penalty miss and Dean yep. goal right 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 at the end, and I was, I was at that. It was an incredible game, and. Um, it's funny, I remember looking at that to refresh my memory on some of the detail. And you're like, oh my God, Harry Kane came on in that game. Yeah. It's, it's so like, weird, isn't it? It's, you know, yeah, but it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, among my friends who are Spurs fans, which I do have, believe it or not, 
it's interesting because Harry Kane was he was almost a little bit of a joke figure when he started. He was like the Europa League striker, and they you know he, he perhaps yeah. looked a little bit gawky when he was younger, and there they was kind nothing. of thought he was just like a kind of useless option off the bench. And the transformation is it's absolutely amazing. phenomenal. There's, there's nothing really in those in, in those loan spells that made me think really he's going to play even more than a handful of games for Tottenham. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I know it's easy to rewrite history yeah. and like, like you know, obviously when the documentaries come out, there's going to be people going, oh, I always knew, I always yeah, knew. Yeah. But, but, you know, well, I, did, I didn't always know. No, I didn't. And quite a lot of other Spurs people didn't. No, I think when we, when we talk about football, we throw around numbers quite flippantly, don't we? So Harry yeah. Kane has reached 200 club career goals. To put it into perspective, it's quite an incredible achievement that he's done that in just 350 appearances because that is quicker than... Cristiano Ronaldo reaching his 200 goals for club matches. That was 379 games he did it in. Sergio Aguero, who I still think is the best striker in the Premier League, he did it in 396 games. Thierry Henry did it in 439 games and Wayne Rooney in 449 matches. It is phenomenal. It's amazing he's done it in 350 appearances. And and this surely, I think, means that it's another one of those milestones in Harry Kane's career that makes me think again, he surely has to beat Alan Shearer's record in the Premier yeah. League. He's got to get there, hasn't he? Yeah, well, you, I, you imagine he will, and I think he'll get Wayne Rooney's record for England as well. But yeah, you've got, you've got so. to ask, has there ever been a solitary runners-up medal with such an amazing record attached to it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, um, being being a dick aside, I think he's, he will probably... <laughs> Harry Kane's a gonna, dick! No, <laughs> Jim Campbell's a dick. One of those third-person guys. Um, yeah, um, I, I think he's, he's, he's he'll surely be gunning for that, because I think one of the things that's so impressive about Kane is is it so much of it is from him isn't it he identifies a weakness in his game and then he just, he just scrubs it out because yeah. he scored so many goals for Spurs across so many different competitions he scored goals for England and if you look at the absolute huge huge difference in the styles of play between Pochettino and Mourinho it, it, it's, Kane's not missed a step has he like he's such a versatile player and I think that's what's going to give him a really good chance of, of hitting that record I think the interesting thing in the, in, in the last couple of games particularly he's started to look like Kane again because I to be honest, I think a lot of the football in the Premier League has been quite flat since mm. it's come back. I, I mean, I think maybe maybe we're we're now at the point where we have to recognise and we should have recognised that, you know, we always talked about the Bundesliga relying on its atmosphere. The Premier League does. The Premier League really does rely on that mm. atmosphere, I, I think, to create momentum and to, to create something on the pitch as well. And I, I think... I think it has got to do with um, the, the way the game is played, uh, this sort of absolutely breakneck pace as well. I think that's quite difficult to replicate after 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 the break. But, um, I mean, it, you can't really single out Harry Kane because of that. But Harry Kane has looked off colour for a lot since the, a lot of the time since the restart. But the last couple of games, I mean, the extraordinary thing about Harry Kane, and I think why you can put him in the same sort of bracket, at least, as Messi and Ronaldo, even if he's not quite there yet. I think, first, firstly, the numbers, mm. and, you know, not with teams that are as prolifically trophy-winning as Real Madrid and, and, and Barcelona. What Jim was talking about, about that absolute, you know, drive to eradicate all those sort of weaknesses in Desperate his game for it, isn't and, he? and improve something each year, you know, get to that point where he starts to become a monster in the air, which yeah. he never was before. All those little things that he just obviously works on really feverishly. And he's, you know, it was the point where dedication sort of 
tips over to obsession really mm. I, I, I think he's in that, that and sort all the of best bracket. sportsmen have that don't they all of the best kind of most successful athletes have got yeah. that drive yeah. and have got that kind of desire to make themselves better and to continue winning and continue getting better what did you make of the actual performance itself because Jose Mourinho seemed absolutely delighted with it mm. he was in his post-match he was saying this is this was a brilliant performance from the boys there, and he was set, he kept saying they're absolutely shattered, they're absolutely knackered. They you know they've had to play this game two games, uh, two days sorry after their previous match, and they're knackered, but they were excellent, they were fantastic. Were they that brilliant? I think when Jose talks about brilliant, he means they executed my game plan, <laughs> which is to you know just play the play the Jose way win. which isn't always exactly exactly just just win and not necessarily have the most sparkling performance so I think he's in talking in the context of them being tired from the North London derby and they had a game it was only two or three days before yeah. that wasn't it so they've played, yeah. they've played a lot um so I think that will be yeah that will be part of that it wasn't exactly the most um you know swashbuckling um, stylistic display was no. it well the thing is there's a lot of things we can nail Mourinho for and and we do but in this context, I don't think he was trying to argue, as some people have suggested, that you know we played dazzling football. He was, uh, we just hung in there. Yeah. I think that's what he was saying. Like like Jim says, I think that's fair enough. And going back to the point I was I was making about Harry Kane, I think that's part of that because basically, he's a player who his his idea of of dealing with injury or lack of form is just play through it. Yeah, and that that is what he's really got in common, actually, with 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 Messi and Ronaldo, and you, you could see it coming back. I think in in the North London derby, even though he didn't score in that, mm. it, he, he just he, he just got he got better and better as the, the the game went on, and that just absolutely won't give in. Like loads of people have said, he's not a Mourinho type of player. I think he's very much a Mourinho type. Yeah, of because player. a Mourinho type of player will just do what they're told, right? And and Kane seems to be someone who's open to that. It's like, okay, if this is how we have to play. This is the system. Then I'm going to fit my game around it because I want to score goals. Well, it's attrition, isn't it? His game. Yeah. It's a huge part of his game, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's an absolute machine, as are we here on The Ramble. We continue every single day, uh, but we do need a break, just as Harry Kane does sometimes in his career. So we're going to take a quick break now. And then after that, we're going to talk about uh, some interesting stuff that's coming up in the football schedule. You're listening to the Football Ramble. I'm here with Jim and Andy today. Uh, before we talk about um, some stuff that's coming up in the football schedule, FIFA have released the schedule finally for the World Cup in Qatar. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the transfer window coming back as well. But uh, eagle-eyed, eagle-eyed, is that a thing? Yeah. No. Eagle-eyed listeners? No. Yeah. No, it doesn't well, work. Does it depends it? on the end of the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what Yeah, okay. Let me let me uh, say this again then. Keen listeners of the Ramble uh, who were listening on yesterday's um, Ramble will have uh, heard Luke, Kate and Vish talking about Ramble merchandise. And we've mm. had an email about this from Gavin McKay, McKee. Gavin McKee, uh, who says, Dear Football Ramble, Luke ended Wednesday's episode with an appeal for Football Ramble merchandise. And I decided this was as good an opportunity as as ever, for some name puns, some intense thought later, and these are my merchandising suggestions. Are you ready for this, boys? Ready. This is, this is good. So we've got uh, a Pete Donald Sun Lounger. <laughs> <laughs> Weird thing to picture. Just yeah. his head over and over again, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. 
Kate Mason jars. Nice. They are right. good, and that's a good one. Uh, Jim Camping Beltesh. It's a stretch, yeah. that, isn't it? They, to be fair, Gavin's been kind to your name because there could have been lots of bell yeah. <laughs> puns. Yeah. Camp Bell. I mean, no one seemed to notice that at school. That's an absolute <laughs> playground given. But uh, yeah. You got away with that one. Mm. Um, we've got Vithush Hand Sanitizer. Nice. Topical. Very topical. Yeah. Like it. Uh, this one for me, Jules Brie Cheese Making Kit, which I want <laughs> one of. Please, Gavin, if you would like to, you know, get this made and send me one, then I'll gladly accept. And uh, this one, Andy Brass Selfie Stick. I mean, it's a product that I very much don't endorse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apart from that, that's because I've got quite a long arm. You do have long arms. You see, you see the problem is, though... No need for what, a selfie I, stick with you about. Well, that's the thing. When I've got a group of friends, the thing is, you know when you take a selfie, it adds a couple of chins. Mm. I always have to take one for the oh, team because I've got the, the longest arm. That's annoying. So I have to do the selfie. See, I'm the smallest person in every group of social circumstance I'm in and I always am at the back because I can never be the one taking the picture because my arms are tiny. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm basically like a 15-year-old girl. I haven't grown since then. So you buy an Andy Brass selfie stick? I would a- happily take an Andy Brass selfie stick. I'd take it. I'd, do you know what? I'd give most of these things a go. Yeah, it's a weird holiday. <laughs> um, but you could you could fit them all together, I think. Yeah. Gavin says, I have ran out, admittedly, of um, weak puns at this point and just ended with Luke's game, the board game and a heart slash Fulham half and half scarf (laughs) for Marcus as well. Uh, You're welcome. And please email back when royalties are sorted. Um, Gavin, you've got to make the product. You've got to make... You've got to make them for us and then we might consider it. I still think, I, I don't want to steal directly from Bundesliga clubs, although they do already have all the ideas. So it's inevitable to a certain extent that we are going to steal some of their club shop ideas. But I know Kate was quite incredulous yesterday about the Borussia Dortmund toaster that burns the club crest on the bread. The other thing I didn't mention was that when it pops up, it plays the club anthem. I think you could definitely oh, go, stop it. you could definitely go a ramble toaster. Yes. Mm. Can you imagine that playing the theme tune when when your toast is ready? That would be great. Just a little stab. What what number <laughs> do you have your your toaster on? Depends what I'm toasting. Oh, really? Yeah. If I'm if it's just toast, I'll go about a third of the way up, maybe. If it's a crumpet, all the way up, ah, and then like it a bit crispy. Do it again with a tiny bit. I'm I'm wow. on the dial. You got you got to cook. A, you got to toast a crumpet properly. So our boss man, John, has it on a number three. Now, I feel like that is far too low. That's like warm bread for me. I like a bit of I like a bit of brown on my bread. The toasters have no consistency, though. This is it. I mean, yeah. that's the toasters are essentially the <laughs> VAR of the kitchen. Yeah, because I have mine around three and it's like it's it's not warm bread. There's really? not enough consistency in toasters. See, I think a, we're realising I'm a good 4.5 on mine, <laughs> but, but mine does go up to a seven, which is an seven? unusual wow. number. I thought that was weird. Does it, Maybe um, that's the thing. That reminds me of Sven discussing the Aston Villa job. <laughs> <laughs> does it burn the Brighton crest into the toast? It does not. Oh, yeah. Although, do you know what I did get last week? Um, Go on. I got a Brighton and Hove Albion face mask. Nice. Really? How good's that? That is cool. I know. I can't wait to wear it. I haven't, I haven't donned it yet, but um, my plan is to wear it on my next outing when I when I actually eventually leave the house. Nice. There you go. Uh, I, right. Sorry, I do have um, an Arsenal branded um, bottle opener that plays the commentary from <laughs> Anfield 89 when you open a beer. Oh, wow. It's great. It was really? It's part of the membership um, thing from pro- probably about 10 years ago. So that's pretty great. 
That is impressive. Andy, do you remember you went to Dortmund and you brought me back a Christmas decoration? I did. Yeah. yeah I had a little snowman. You did? To go on the tree. A little Dortmund yeah. snowman. Oh, cute, isn't he? Nice. So cute. All right, let's talk about uh, the transfer window because it's back. Uh, the dates have been confirmed for the summer transfer window uh, from the 27th of July. We're only a week or so away from that now, the day after the Premier League season finishes, and it will end on the 5th of October. However, for the first time, we've got this weird domestic-only window yeah. from the 5th to the 12th of October where Premier League clubs can only trade with football league clubs and not with each other. It's really ominous, this, isn't it? Because it shows that clearly there's going to have to be a bit of a pinch somewhere. Uh, so clubs are going to have to kind of think a bit differently. And um, EFL clubs are just going to have to suck that up and have their players kind of possibly sort of hoovered out of them. It almost it feels a bit like a sort of Premier League outlet store, doesn't yeah. it? Like, don't, don't, you think, don't you think the opposite way is more likely? That, that uh, EFL clubs will end up loaning players? You think? From the bloated Premier League squad, perhaps, perhaps. It's interesting because I, I'd, I'd taken it as as that way. I suppose the thing is because we've seen a domestic only window in France as as well to preface the the, the current transfer window, and it is just a, the fact that everyone's going to be making it up as it go as, as they go along at the moment. Mm. So there's got to be a way of broadly standardising it across the major European leagues but at the same time there's a bit of wiggle room like if the the accounts look bad yeah you know I, I guess I guess that's the way isn't it I suppose so it seems it strikes me as odd that they this needs to be so specific though yeah because it's you know the these clubs can trade between each other at other times. Why Up until the 5th window? of October. Yeah, why is there a separate domestic-only one? Yeah. What was the reasoning for that in France, Andy? Do you know? Yeah, so they could, they, they could generate more money. Oh, it, it was just it was genuinely it quite, was, quite cynical. Kind yeah, of. before it was before the, the, the wider transfer window was happening. So they could get something moving and they could, they could get a bit of money flowing in the coffers. Mm. Who do you think is going to be the busiest in the window, Andy, from Premier League teams? Uh, well, I, th- I think Manchester City are going to be a lot bigger than they, uh, busier than they would have been. Mm. Uh, and I think that's something that we've seen over the, the last couple of days. But it is interesting. When you look at their, their current war chest or their project, projected war chest, I mean, uh, the, the numbers that have been thrown around are like, like 150 million euros. The world has changed, doesn't it? Yeah. Because how many players, how many game-changing players do you think Manchester City could get for 150 million euros? Two, maybe three? Mm. I mean, you know, unless prices have changed that much, it's, it's, it's not going to be a great deal. But it's, it's funny, actually, that Manchester City against Bournemouth last night did make me think a little bit of... You know, I've heard people say, well, they don't really need a re- re- rebuild. They do need a rebuild. Bournemouth nearly got a point. Certainly, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the squad, they need a, a, a rebuild. Yeah, nine if, games, is it, they've lost? If, if you're like a couple of changes away from having Stones and Otamendi at centre-back, you yeah. need some changes. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because I think they will sell players as well. They've already, you know, Pep Guardiola's already been talking about selling John Stones, hasn't he? And mm. like, but the thing is, it's how, how much are they going to get in the market? Will they be better off waiting for some of these players, even with their contracts running down a little bit, to, to reinflate in value? Stabilise. I'm interested in Chelsea because everyone knows they've got money, so they're in a weird position where selling clubs will probably go. Even in this scenario, we want more money, and will that just will that just screw the market again? Mm. Will it just will it just lead to a lot of clubs spending beyond their means? I guess we'll see. It's interesting. And they've done good so business short. already, Chelsea. And, and and for next season, look like one of the teams to watch, you'd think. What about the goalkeeper situation at Chelsea, though? Because that seems to be, whenever I talk to Chelsea fans, that seems to be the, 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 the part where they're like, they're just not happy 
with Kepper at the moment. I don't think he's completely to blame for their defensive issues this season, but he's certainly part of it, isn't he? No, it, it doesn't inspire an enormous amount of confidence and always that, that price tag, which is just really problematic in terms of perception. It, it always sort of dogs him. The, the, the fact is... If Chelsea had bought him six months earlier, they could have got him for a quarter of the price. Mm. Uh, and and that is that is the fact of the matter. I don't think anyone has ever ever said, or anyone reasonable has ever said, that the price he cost was reflective of how much he's worth. Um, you know, you think you go back like six months before Chelsea bought him and Real Madrid um, wouldn't pay the 20 million euros because they're like, oh, he's out of contract soon. And then, of course, he signs the extended contract, which gives rise to, to this release clause. But because they paid so much for him, they they can't just give him away, which is a yeah. huge yeah. problem in terms of the way they're going to go forward. I mean, in terms of like the, the fact that they clearly need a defender, at least one defender. Uh, they're still interested in in Kai Havertz, who is not going to be cheap. I don't really see how they're going to make this goalkeeper thing happen. I mean, of course, there's been talk about Jan Oblak going there, and Oblak. I think there's a, there's a strong argument that he's the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah, but on the other hand. What we don't know about him is how good he is with his feet. We know he's competent with his feet, but he's not an Alisson mm. or he's not an Edison. Or if he is, he's been hiding it very well. The fact is, Atletico defends so much deeper than a lot of other teams, including Chelsea. Part of the reason they bought Kepper in the first place is because he can come out and do that keeper-sweeper business. But we don't know if Oblak can do that because mm. a lot of the time he doesn't have to leave his six-yard box. Does Oblak know if he can do that? No. He's not, probably, he won't really have had a reason to, probably to not. play that way. Ex- so. ex- exactly, exactly. So it's weird to say that you could buy the best goalkeeper in the world and it could be a bit of a punt for you. Yeah, it's, it's strange. I mean, Kepper is he's 25. There's, there's a good argument that actually... It's not outrageous that he'll improve soon. Obviously, mm. Chelsea bought him as a long-term investment. So, Isn't that the thing need... with goalkeepers, that confidence is so much a part of it? Yeah. That whereas you could square that for an outfield player, the influence that that has on the team is so much, it's so much more yeah. difficult to sell, not isn't it? Completely. But look at, look at Nick Pope, for example. Mm. Nick Pope is so responsible for Burnley being so difficult to break down. Oh, for sure. You, you can yeah. see that in the way teams approach them and how you, you know that if you play Burnley, it's going to be an absolute nightmare of a game. Mm. And a lot of that comes from how, how Nick Pope's confidence translates into the rest of the side. But, you know, the opposite can also be true. And I think there's, there's a danger of that becoming the case with Kepper. But, you know, I think would Chelsea perhaps be better off slightly risking that Kepper will get over this and improve and maybe getting some more reliable defenders to help him out. Yeah, maybe maybe some proper competition for him. I mm. mean, I'm not knocking Willy Caballero, but you know, I, I don't think he's anyone's idea of an A-plus elite goalkeeper. And also, he's not that young, is he? Yeah. So if if maybe you could get someone as as, as competition for, for Kepper, maybe, maybe that's your solution. I mean, funnily enough, Look at Real Madrid. They've stuck with Thibaut Courtois because they kind of had to in terms of the investment they made in him. It's been brilliant this season. He's yeah. a key part of them probably winning the league. Yeah, which they can do tonight. Is that yeah, right? they, they they can do tonight. If they beat Villarreal, they're the champions. And that's that. They're the Bernabeu. It's free on British television as well, which is very exciting. <laughs> Your favourite thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I love a bit of free. I love a bit of free. Uh, so that's 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 quite exciting. Um, I don't know if I can fit in the Real Madrid games tonight. There's so many football yeah. matches. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Come on, it's another game to fit in the schedule. Uh, speaking of schedules, um, FIFA have also released a schedule for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. And it's at 
absolutely insane. The matches are going to start on the 21st of November and they're going to end on the 18th of December. It's the first time, obviously, we've had a Winter World Cup. Slightly getting my head around it now, I think. Um, And there's a few positives to kind of look at with this. Um, I've been told that... The stadiums are all pretty close together. So the fans that are lucky enough to to head out there for the World Cup can on some occasions go to more than one game in a day because they can go to one match at one stadium and it's just, you know, a stone's throw away to the next one. Amazing. Of course, there is the fact that it'll be so hot that it'll take you twice as long <laughs> yeah. as it normally would to walk True. that distance. True. <laughs> and you'll be a sweaty mess by the time you get to the second one. <laughs> That's a given for the whole thing, yeah. isn't it, yeah. if you're out there? It's, it's going to be so interesting, isn't it, spectating a Winter World Cup? Mm. Because a lot of people are obviously a bit you know, sad to see that change because there is something really beautiful about a, a summer tournament. It's just that the atmosphere in the, in, in the country is great, but obviously we've got to look at other parts of the world that don't necessarily have, have it that way. Um but it's, uh, I think it's going to be kind of cool, right? Yeah. Christmas got, and I've, the World Cup I've at the got same my time. Head around sort of. it now, I think, like up to up to maybe about six months ago, I was still very skeptical about it and was like, I don't really like the idea of a Winter World Cup. But I think because of this kind of rescheduling, because of COVID nineteen of the domestic season and the way things have changed, it almost now feels like actually, yeah, I can see this now working mm. and for the first time ever we're going to have Christmas off guys you know, <laughs> for people who work in football that kind of period between sort of middle of December to the yeah. first week of January when you get to the the, the FA Cup weekend in, in the first weekend of January it's relentless it's basically yeah. what we're going through now but over Christmas mm. when you've also got a million Christmas parties nice. and socials and it is hardcore on the body. <laughs> yeah. It is painful. Yeah. So for the first time ever, we're all going to have a Christmas off. There, I don't there know what to do. Be, I actually be... have to see my family. <laughs> None of us left to sort of pick up five needless podcast bookings to get a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be strange though, isn't it? Yeah, it, it will It will be unusual. I mean, you know, I, I guess it would have been interesting to find out if there were any sort of particularly keen players. You know, you can imagine like one or two in the England squad going, yeah, I, I can't celebrate our World Cup win because I've got to make it back for our uh, League Cup fifth round game, which <laughs> is in a couple of ga- days' time. Yeah. Oh, God, well, I just got another Christmas party. Sorry, guys. <laughs> have to get out of the group without me. Hurry. But Come on. Th- the way it's condensed into this period of time, I mean, I think there are three rest days in the whole tournament. Ooh, wow. you, think, you think there's a lot of football now. Essentially, we are now practicing for the 2022 yeah. World Cup. Mm. Except, I think the other thing, and obviously there are a lot of problems with this World Cup, both in terms of the awarding, the construction yeah. of the stadiums. We all know about that. In terms of the actual football, I think there's an argument that this could be the best World Cup in a generation because, of course, because it's not at the end of the season, all the players won't be flaked, yeah. which, which is, is going to make an enormous difference. We're going to win it, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. Oh, We've my basically God. Won We're going to win the World Cup. Yeah, it's going to be hurt. amazing. <laughs> It's going to be so good. We're going to win the Christmas World Cup. Oh, my God. I am like on the Marcus end of the scale when it comes to international football. Yeah. So I am well excited. Do you think, with it being at that time of year, Noddy Holder should be charged with doing the World Cup song? <laughs> yeah, I absolutely bring, do. bring him out of retirement. Oh, my God. That would genuinely be amazing. That would be so many <laughs> conflicting, happy emotions at once. What a, what a mix-up. I am trying to remind myself it's not a Christmas World Cup it's a winter World Cup how can we call it a Christmas World Cup yeah maybe sounds better do like a sort of could you make the groups an advent calendar in some way (gasps) 
Well, there's chocolate and melt, I think. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. Well, look, there is uh, lots of football to look forward to far before the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Tonight, four more matches in the Premier League. Aston Villa have a must-win match at Goodison Park against Everton. It's Leicester against Sheffield United. Leicester trying to hold on to a top-four spot. Crystal Palace against Manchester United. And, of course... The big one, the South Coast Derby. It's Southampton against Brighton. It's not the South, but people that call it the South Coast Derby. <laughs> it's a South Coast uh, yeah. Derby. They so, need so, to get in so the sea. What's, what's, what's the real Derby? And they literally can. It's not that hard. They can actually. <laughs> so, so what's what's the real Derby? Are we talking Worthing? No. You having that? The what? The real South Coast Derby. So, so what's what's your what's your real Derby? Our Derby. What's your real Derby? Palace, isn't it? Well, yeah, but what's what's your real geographical Derby? Palace. No, no, Palace versus Brighton is not local, so it's not a derby. It's a Classico. It's closer than any other team on the South it's Coast. It's the Southern Rail derby. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> God, that's Southern Rail. I oh, hate it. God. I'm glad I don't have to get it anymore now I live in London. Um, so, yeah, Southampton-Brighton. It's a big game uh, for, for the Seagulls, of course, who is now looking a little bit closer at the bottom of the table. So I'm going to watch that one uh, and very nervously indeed. Uh, right, that's all from us today. On tomorrow's show, Marcus, Luke and Pete will be here. They'll be talking about all of tonight's Premier League matches. Real Madrid probably winning La Liga and Leeds getting closer to being promoted to the Premier League for the first time in 16 years. See you tomorrow, Ramblers. This was a Stakhanov production.